Welcome to Compassion Radio 360. Morning, honey. It's time for Compassion Radio's 360 program. Today's article we're going to highlight and the scriptures that go with it are going to be really an interesting look into something that is desperately needed and is often done very poorly. Would you care to introduce the article for us? Absolutely. I have been following this young man for quite some time, and I was thrilled when you actually sent me this article that you read about him. June Park is a chaplain in a hospital in Tampa, Florida. We will all come to this place where we face a desperate loss, a grief of losing someone that we love. We need so much to have people like this young man with us during that journey. Hospice workers, chaplaincy, all of these people who do this kind of work are some special kind of people. And they're facing life-threatening things every day. So they have plenty of experience up close. So we respect people like this. They're going to bear a lot of grief that they didn't have to take up. Mm-hmm. They chose to do this, and it's the ability to allow silence to speak, to let God get in the cracks of these things that becomes obvious for people who really are sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Why don't you read some of the Today Show article that talks about his life? He calls himself the grief catcher. During J.S. Park's first clinical shift as a chaplain intern at Tampa General Hospital, he watched a man being resuscitated in the emergency department. The man did not make it. And Park was tasked with answering, what can really be said to a grieving family in the worst moment of their lives? All I could do was sit with the family, he told today. They wailed and wailed, and through tears told me about his entire life. And though I only listened, it seemed to be enough. Shortly after, I applied for the year-long residency. Since then, Tampa General has been Park's church. In the truest sense, I think, this is the case. Because being a church means a place of sanctuary. That's my biggest hope for any church out there. A sanctuary for those, not just who are hurting, but those who don't feel safe in a world that doesn't hold their interests at heart. Mm -hmm. But in the church, they're supposed to be able to find a body of people that see in them God's imprint and become part of a growing, vibrant, and productive family that is at home with each other. Yeah, that's a great hope. When I see that in a congregation, I say, God's here Mm -hmm. because his people are not just trying to live the way he said to do, but are inhabited with that presence that says, this is who we are, not just what we do. Mm -hmm. With one person, he established a congregation, really. Mm, He was going to be the first out of the gate to say, this is the kind of place that I want to be. Well, he goes on to say he sees all kinds of trauma that come in. It's a trauma one level emergency department. Helicopters coming in all day long. Yeah, that's the highest level of trauma. And so he sees everything possible there. Gunshot wounds, car accidents, fires, falls, stabbings, stroke cardiac arrest, the gamut. And almost every patient that he sees is someone who was living their daily life. And suddenly. And in seconds, their life is irreversibly changed. He says it feels like the universe is crashing in on them. And I'm there just to sit with them. He acknowledges early on in this article that he was a product of a household that was full of abuse, trauma, and poverty. Mm -hmm. He grew up with all the things taken away from a child that should give them their safety, their identity, their sense of place in this world. He didn't have it. Mm -hmm. But somehow between that childhood upbringing, which was disastrous, and this new place of purpose, something had to have transformed his heart. Because you don't just step out of one trauma and suddenly become an expert at healing somebody else's trauma. You drag your trauma with you. 
where it drags you around. Well, he found solace in a church and began to attend a youth group decided, I need this in my life. He began to gravitate toward youth ministry as Mm -hmm. he got older, seeing how the youth of America are traumatized Mm -hmm. every day. They live with the threat of gunshots in their schools and car accidents, violence all around them. And many are just walking time bombs themselves. As he worked in youth ministry, he felt the call to go deeper. He went into chaplaincy in a prison setting. Mm. He was told that a chaplain is kind of a mix between a priest and a therapist. (laughs) There you go. Interesting. The vocational opportunities for people who understand trauma now are much more vast than what we would have experienced going to college back in the 80s. In fact, you studied social work at the time because that seemed about the only vocation that was identified as being focused on preventing trauma or dealing with trauma was happening within families and with Mm -hmm. individuals who were separated from community. Now we understand that trauma is something that is bigger than just a certain legal construct of what abuse means within a home that would require the state to step in and pull a child out of a house or something like that. It's not that these things never happened before. It's that we're beginning to have the language to be able to express ourselves better about the things that hurt, the things that destroyed or broke. If anything good about this in this generation, we're beginning to at least understand that we have a voice if we've been hurt. Mm-hmm. We have the opportunity to heal. That healing is actually out there. I could reach for this. I could actually have healing in my life. Yeah. Like you said, honey, a heightened awareness of possibilities. June talks about hope. He desperately needed something to hope in. Personally. Personally. Yeah. And he wanted to break the cycle that he had grown up in for yeah. his future, his current life with family and children that he would have. So he decided to go into the chaplaincy. He realizes that now he gets to be the presence and ears with open hands for those in these hospital rooms, something that he needed himself growing up. Yeah, he gets to catch the grief. Yeah. As a grief catcher, I think of dream catchers that are all the rage. It's a motif, but it's something that actually has meaning for the tribes that use them in their cultural practices to say that there are things out there that are spiritual that flow through us and around us all the time. And every once in a while, it's nice to reach out and snatch some of that goodness out Mm -hmm. of thin air. The biggest dreams you have could be caught in one of these and be held close to you and not forgotten. That's the imagery, the metaphor. A grief catcher would seem to be totally negative. Why would you want to catch anyone's grief? Mm -hmm. Get rid of it. The American culture would say, flush that one down the toilet. You don't want that anymore. That's refuse. And yet June is saying, no, this is actually something precious. Someone's grief that they're pouring out is a cup overflowing. Mm. Something about receiving it and holding it is sacred. Absolutely. In his practice, what do you think June means by catching grief? Wow, that is such a beautiful phrase. When I read that the first time, I thought, oh man, to be that for someone Mm. is, like you said, sacred. To hold a space quietly for someone who is going through a trauma like this, a deep grief where they have lost someone or something very dear to them, Mm -hmm. to allow them to express that freely Mm. without any condemnation, without rules to follow, is so beautiful. It is. And giving someone that space that you can hold it for them You can block everything around them. You can run interference for them Mm -hmm. and allow them to experience this grief safely Mm -hmm. is a beautiful and sacred thing. That's what he's talking about here. I'm catching grief for people because I want them to be able to pour it out 
and release that pressure that's inside of them. You know, honey, when my mom died, all I could think about doing was going out to our farm and screaming Mm. and given that freedom to just cry out to God with this primal scream Mm. in some ways was a beautiful and precious release for me. Severe, but... It was severe and it felt dangerous, but because of the love that I felt surrounded me by you and our children and other people that cared for us, I was safe to do it. Mm. And it was healing for me. What June is doing is giving people that opportunity to release that pressure that's inside of them, to release that anxiety, that deep passion, maybe, Mm -hmm. is life-giving. Yeah. By taking something from. We're not taking it away. It's not like we're catching someone's grief and disposing of it. We're actually allowing it to land somewhere in our hearts so that somehow what is given to us can be transformed Mm -hmm. into something that's going to be valuable to both of you. Now, there's plenty of people I've met in my life that seem to be instinctively more empathetic than others. Right. Their personality is more akin to being able to hear the emotional heartbeat of somebody or read the room well. Other people seem to be tone deaf (laughs) to the needs around them or the people that they're with. And there's very little of the abiding with or sitting in or whatever. And I see so many pictures that just intrigue me about Jesus in his ministry, like the woman who was caught in adultery that is being blamed for all of the sins of the men who abused her. And Jesus is doing nothing but sitting in the dirt between the stone throwers and this girl, Mm -hmm. just doodling in the dirt, just being there. Yeah. What dignified director of ministry and evangelist and great movement maker that Jesus was would be sitting in the dirt in his finest suit, if you could call it that, mm-hmm. his robe of authority, and just doodling in the dirt to be with this girl while all the eyes were on her? Mm-hmm. I mean, who does that? Jesus with skin on. Yep. And young chaplains like June. Mm-hmm. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry. These are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. Will you help us get ready for the next Big Faith Challenges and Opportunities of this year? Your gift today will provide the means for us to begin some new initiatives with our Bible and Relief Partners that reach farther than we've ever gone before. Here's how. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. It's available 24-7. Our safe and secure order form there will get your gift to the places needed most and we'll do it right away. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time business hours at 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone no matter where you are. And you can reach us at the following address, Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. However you give, we'd love to hear more about why you believe in Compassion Radio. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. In his finest suit, if you can call it that, Mm. his robe of authority, and just doodling in the dirt to be with this girl while all the eyes were on her. Mm -hmm. I mean, who does that? Jesus with skin on. Yep. And young chaplains like June. Mm.
I don't think that his empathy and his compassion, which is empathy put into practice, is something that was just accidental. I mean, since we know a little bit about his backstory, he was able to go through a process of seeing evil for what it was and not just say to himself, oh, well, this is just the way it is. This is normal. No, abuse and neglect and trauma are not normal. They become normalized because they're so prevalent right. and so unaccosted. We let so much of it fly by us. We don't intervene so much because it's like it's none of our business. And yet it happens all around us. If we had any clue, we'd probably be running away in terror. But somehow God says, no, this is my safe place. Figure out how to be safe. Come to me to learn how to do this. Mm-hmm. And I see that in June's life. Somehow in his life, he went to the source of peace and his healing and said, I need to get out of this cycle. I need to not be a perpetuator of this cycle. Mm-hmm. I need to be better than this. Help me to help others. Right. And when you ask questions like that, I've got, I think he has a great big bag of tricks ready to go <laughs> saying, here's an idea. Have you thought about? And he puts it on our hearts to respond to him in a certain way. And in June's case, apparently one of the things that God taught him early was the profound power of silence and presence. Mm-hmm. So that's where this whole chaplaincy ministry began, was in not knowing what to say. Mm. And how many of us could say that the greatest qualification to our ministry, our calling, is to not know how to do it? Well, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we could say more than probably 90% of the time, we don't know what to say in difficult situations. And to admit that. And to admit that is is being a very strong person. This may not be received very well, but I think in the church, sometimes we are wrongly taught to have a scripture for everything. Yeah. Now, scripture does teach us to have an answer, to have a response, to defend our faith. For the hope that resides within us. the hope that resides you. within yeah. us, to know what we believe and to be able to share that. Yes, I believe that. Yeah. But I don't believe that every situation that we encounter or that we go through with another person has a specific scripture to answer that situation. That solves the situation. That solves it. Yeah, I agree with that because I think when Paul was saying this to Timothy, especially, he's saying, your story matters. Be ready to give an account for the hope that's in you. Absolutely. It's about your story. It's not about all the answers that fix everybody else's story Mm -hmm. or that put a big old dot or exclamation mark on the end of their chapter. It is definitely about being able to give an account for what God is doing in us that matters most because when we are called upon to tell our story, it better count. Mm -hmm. But other people's stories are being written raw right in front of us when they're going through grief. It's not our story to interrupt and to answer and to fix and to end. Mm, That's a good point. Before we depart on this subject today and this fine story, I want to remind our folks that we always put a link in our notes for these programs on Compassion Radio 360 for the article that inspired the discussion we're having. So just check out the podcast section of our website at CompassionRadio.com to see the link and read the story for yourself. Learn more about June's life and his ministry and why it is so distinctive. Mm-hmm. Now, we have some scripture we'd like to kind of pivot to now that kind of encapsulates how it moved our hearts in reading his story. Yeah. Well, one of the scriptures that I was drawn to was a reminder to me of my own training in spiritual direction that I had to choose between my social work background Mm -hmm. and this new discipline that I was learning in spiritual direction where silence is valued highly. And in Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says, In the same way, the Spirit joins to help in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the heart knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
Now, as I sit with people in direction, mm-hmm. oftentimes they're not really looking for my answer. Correct. In fact, they're never looking for my answer. Yeah. They're looking for God's answer for them. And so as we both listen to the Holy Spirit, we ask the Holy Spirit to give us insight and wisdom. Yeah. And knowing this verse says to me, Holy Spirit's going to go before the Father himself and plead our case and ask the Father to give us wisdom and insight. Now, James tells us that God gives wisdom to us freely when we ask for it. Discernment, discretion, understanding, depth of knowledge, all that stuff's wrapped up in that word. James promises us the Holy Spirit will give us everything we need if we just ask. Right. I don't read it so much as the Holy Spirit steps out of what he's already doing to come to my side to be aware of what I'm asking for and help me in that. What I hear in that scripture more now is God says, I know my own thoughts. I'm at peace with myself. I've got this. Mm-hmm. I'm already there. So in this, I'm okay. And because I'm okay, I can help you be okay. Mm. And he'll enter in with us. He's inviting us to come to him and be in him and abide with him where he already is at peace. Oh, yeah. 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 That's great. It's all the Holy Spirit's work. I believe that June Parks would agree with us on that, saying that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. This is being literally, like we talk about, all the time on Compassion Radio, the hands <laughs> yeah, and feet of yeah. Jesus. And the ears now. And the ears and the safety. Yeah. Because we can provide that ourselves as lay people in Christ. We can provide a safe place for people to experience deep grief and healing. And we have to probably tackle one elephant in the room. In English, we've used this word conviction mm-hmm. and say the Holy Spirit's work is to convict. Now, in its antiquated form, the idea was for those who were in Christ, it was to move us to pursue him. Mm. Having a conviction about something, a thing that was positive. It was not about accusations. And when it's used in common English today, it sounds like the Holy Spirit's job is to hammer us to death Mm -hmm. until we relent. It has nothing to do with that. The Holy Spirit, for those who are already in him and he in them, is about the invitation, the drawing in, saying, you're safe here. Mm -hmm. Come closer. Not because I have to put my finger in your face, but because you're not close enough for me to hug yet. It's like that. Yeah. It does say that the Holy Spirit reminds the world of its sin by simply saying, do you not see this around you? Do you not see it in you? Even then, the idea of the Holy Spirit convicting the world of its sin outside of him has nothing to do with scaring them off or saying, go to hell. It's not saying that ever. Mm. The Holy Spirit is always saying, come to me, whether you're in or out. We get this impression that the Holy Spirit is the judgment arm of the trio. He's the one that's the hatchet man for the Father, so he can keep his hands clean. And Jesus is the nice guy that tries to make the bridge. All of them are one The idea of conviction, I think, has to be kind of challenged in our language because it does not mean the negativity, the attention to failure Mm -hmm. that we see in our language. Well, Paul tells us in Romans that the riches of his kindness toward us Mm. are intended to lead us to run from sin, to lead us away from sin. Which is repentance. Repentance is not perfecting your behavior. It is simply run away from scary situations and come to some place that's safe. Mm Mm-hmm. Another one of the scriptures we looked at was in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. The voice, it reads like this. All praise goes to God, Father of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. He is the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. 
He consoles us as we endure the pain and hardship of life so that we may draw from his comfort and share it with others in their own struggles. Mm. Mm. That is such a beautiful picture. I love how this verse tells us that we can comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort we have received. Mm -hmm. This tells me also, on the flip side of things, that we need to allow comfort to come into our own lives through others. We are comforted and blessed when we allow other people to hold safe space for us. Yeah. When they're not speaking nonsense to us mm-hmm. or trying to fix a problem that is not even theirs to fix, mm-hmm. when they're not trying to fix us in our yeah. grief. You know, you and I have been through a lot of churches in our lives because we've been in different places. We are members of these bodies across these decades. I don't think of myself as not being a member of that church anymore. I think of that being my family in. Mm. I think of the place. I think of the time. And in eternity, we'll be able to find out more about what happened as a result of the time we spent together. Some of those congregations that we and I were a part of, we would look back and say, you know, it was pretty unhealthy. Yeah, Things went yeah. sideways that should not have gone that way. But we still have friends. Mm. We still have dear ones that we would trust with our lives in every place we've gone. Those are eternal memberships in my mind. (laughs) This Church of One in June Park becomes a long line of intense moments of intimacy with God and with each other and with grief that he was the pastor through. And I don't think any family that he met during all these years will ever forget their time together in that church of suffering. Mm. This idea of being the hands and feet of Jesus, of being available, is personified in June Park's life to me. In Psalm 34, it says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many times I've wondered, how on earth is he near to me? Mm. As I'm brokenhearted, I'm crushed in spirit. He says he's near to me, but how? I don't see him. I don't even necessarily feel him. It has been those people who have come to me in those times of grief and crushed spirit that the Lord is near. Yes, That is the way the Lord is near to those who are crushed in spirit and brokenhearted. We are that. Mm. People, we are the Lord to others that are hurting. Whether you feel it or act like it or not, you are that. The body of Christ, we believe, is something that is empirically true. It's real. Mm -hmm. If Christ is in us, he's there. In the voice, that same verse reads, When someone is hurting or brokenhearted, the eternal moves in close and revives him in his pain. Mm -hmm. Which brings us full circle to the beginning of this article about June Park's life. His first encounter with the impossible, trying to comfort people who are going through the impossible, is when one of their loved ones is being revived. And that revival fails. And they are brokenhearted. Mm -hmm. June Park is a chaplain of the living. And to live sometimes like this means great grief. Who's going to help me get out of this morass? Who's going to clean my clothes after I've wept all over them? Or I've got the blood on my hands and my body from this person I loved. Who cleans that mess? It is moments like that where we can make a direct connection to the memorial that we celebrate called communion or the Eucharist. And we literally say to God, may your body and your blood become us, that your death would put to death our death. And by the body and blood of your precious son, Jesus Christ, we might have life. When you see a chaplain, a grief catcher like June Park, obviously living within the covering of the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the power of that office, that ministry they have is undeniable. God is calling more of us to this, not less. God has called us all to so much more than we can imagine or Mm. hope for. And as frightening as it might be to think about sitting with someone in their grief or their trauma, 
it truly is a holy and sacred place to be. And one that we are all called to. Because we're not the one that has to understand or fix it all. We Mm -hmm. have to let go and let God. But we can't do that unless we're there. Mm -hmm. Ah. And it's truly okay not to have words. Yes. We've said it before with our ministry as we travel the world. We walk into places where there are absolutely no words or language that we have in our hearts to even understand what's going on in front of us. And yet God's put us there. Mm -hmm. We simply call it literally the ministry of showing up. And on that note, we end this week's Compassion Radio 360. Our heart and passion would be that from your heart, God would draw you to show up. It is not for us to define that for you or tell you what to do. But we want to extend that invitation. If God's moving on your heart or you're going through grief right now, and maybe you haven't had anyone stand with you or pray for you, whatever, that's the least we could do. So mm-hmm. if you want to let us know about some need or some story that's happened in your life, write us at Compassion Radio. We've got the feedback form, and my email address is bramfloria at compassionradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. On that note, we wish you God's best and his comfort this weekend. On Monday, we'll pick it up with our next episode of Compassion Radio's Chasing the Word in the Book of Psalm 51. Thanks for joining us. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training in theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry, these are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Or give online at CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.